All right, so last week we looked at two life cycles. Uh, the life cycle of desires gonna muck, which uh, leads to, to, to death, we saw, and then God's good gifts, which lead to a life cycle of life. And as we carry on in James now, what we want to do is, is take seriously the advice of C.S. Lewis. You remember what he said is that we've got to choose uh, which way we go. We've got to choose which sort of life cycle that we want to feed. And so the question that we want to, to look at today is, is what is food for the cycle of life? What are those things that we need to feed ourselves and involve ourselves in that keep us on this pathway to life rather than the pathway towards death? And so uh, we're going to carry on with James because he begins to unfold this for us in these next few verses. And let's pick it up sort of where we left off in verse 18 of, of chapter 1. And this is what it says. For he chose us, chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruit of all he created. That's where we left off. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Man, that is a mouthful. And that right there, we could spend a, a few Sundays, a month of Sundays, just looking at this, uh, this, this talk here about this whole kind of a deal. But that's not really the thrust of the whole passage. So we're going to have to leave that little bit uh, for another day and another sermon. But let's just kind of touch on it and then trace through the thread that carries through the rest of the chapter. Lots of people say that this whole idea of you know, being, being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, is, is really just tying back into how do we halt the cycle of death? And it kind of clings back to a couple of Sundays ago when we looked at this whole thing of you know, consider pure joy when we endure trials of many kinds. Because you see, trials kind of do the opposite to us than, than what we just read, don't they? At least with me. When we go through trials and challenges, it's very easy to be slow to listen, to, to take things only from our perspective, to think about only our thoughts, and then to be quick to speak sometimes, and sometimes in anger, to sort of blurt out without processing what we're saying and without considering what the outcome of those words will be. It's what a response to trial. It's a response uh, that's wrong and kind of leads to death. That many of us have. You know, it, there's such irony in this. On Monday, I spent the whole day studying this passage of Scripture. Went through it, you know, da, 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 going through it. And then, and then on Monday night, we had a board meeting. And at that board meeting, Scott made a statement, which I did not listen to carefully. He was talking about a timing thing, and I was thinking about the overall picture, and it made me mad. And because it made me mad, I blurted out a sentence, which immediately cut down all conversation, right? As well as it goes, except for then afterwards, Scott's like, hey man, da 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 da, and then ah. So then I'm spending Tuesday phoning all the board members saying, hey, you know, I kind of had an outburst there, I emotionally, da 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 da. The opposite of what I've just been spent the whole day studying. Because you see, what that does is it leads to death, doesn't it? 
I mean, when I reacted out of this, this, this frustration or whatever, I didn't listen to what Scott was saying. I just heard the first few words and that was good enough for me. And then it brought potentially a death to relationship. So then I'm on the phone for everybody. Thankfully, this church is so gracious to me and was forgiving and kind. And yeah, we understand now. It's, you know, it's kind of like when Andrew was a little boy and I went into him one time. I can't remember how old he was. He was maybe six, seven, eight, something like that. And I said, son, I'm really sorry. I overreacted to what, what you just did to that. To which he said, it's okay, dad. I'm used to it. <laughs> kind of a similar thing. So we can fall into this and, and it leads to a cycle of death, doesn't it? Death of relationship, death of our heart, all this sort of thing. And so we don't want to be feeding that cycle. Instead, we want to feed the cycle that, that brings about the righteousness, the right relationships, right relationship with God, right relationship with each other, right relationship with creation. That's the cycle that we want to feed. So how do we go about producing a righteousness that God desires in this cycle of life. Well, he begins the answer in verse 18. I don't know if you picked it up. And then he really develops it in verses 21 through 25. And here's the truth. The food which will give you energy for the cycle of life is the word of truth. The word of truth that he speaks of in verse 18. That is the food. That's the energizing. That's the nourishment that we need to live in this continual cycle of life which brings about the righteousness that God expects, the right relationship, the right living, all this sort of thing. So let's pick it up. Let's read verses 21 through 25. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. It can give you this life, right? It saves you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, we, we know this passage, right? It's one of the famous ones. It's like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what it looks like. Some of us are kind of happy about that, but we're not supposed to do that. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, the perfect law that gives freedom, and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in all that they do. <laughs> they will be blessed in all that they do. They will have life. So it's, it's the center of this is this word of truth that gives life. So the word of truth, just so you know, just have a clear mind. The word of truth really is, is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, okay? That's kind of the center of it. It's the good news of Jesus that brings life. And it's, it's the, the Old Testament part that runs up to and begins to prepare us for the great gospel of Christ, the arrival of Christ. And then the working out of the rest of the time that talks about how we live out this gospel. And that's what James is going to outline for us, okay? So, so that's kind of about the word of truth. So what does the word of truth do? What is this this grand story that God is carrying out and invites us uh, to be a part of. What does it do? Well, first of all, we read it, right? In verse 18 and in verse 21, the word of truth brings us life. You see, what the Bible teaches is that all of us find ourselves in the cycle of death. 
All of us find ourselves estranged from God, estranged from each other, even estranged from ourselves and the internal turmoil and, and battles that we have. But then we hear the word. Then we hear the good news of Jesus Christ, that God himself took on flesh, came and dwelt amongst us and lived this perfect life. And then he took all of our sin upon himself, all of that moral filth, all of that junk, all of that garbage. He took it upon himself and he took our punishment for us by dying on a cross. But then he didn't stay dead. He rose on the third day and met with a whole bunch of people to prove and show that he was alive. And then he ascended on high to the right hand of the Father where he pleads our case as our high priest and as our lead worshiper and as our intercessor. And one day, when the time is right, he will return and new creation will be seen in all of its glory and everything will be made right. And this story, this invitation to come into the very life and the heart of God, this is the good news that brings life. And so it's the beginning of the cycle of life is to hear the good news of Christ and to be invited into it. Verse 21, it talks about the cycle of life too. It's worth, let's just remind ourselves of it because it's easy to miss it. Therefore, Get rid of all the moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. What James wants to emphasize is, is the prevalence of, of evil in the world. That's that cycle of death that we spent so much time looking at last time. Last time, the, 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 the perversion of our desires. God puts desires within us to pursue him and pursue all that is good and beautiful and loving. But the world and the enemy gets in there and our desires become perverted and we end up in this, in this cycle of death because the world is full. It's prevalent. It's around us. It surrounds us. It, it corrupts our desires and God says listen you need to understand this that the word of truth will stop you going down those roads which learn to death if we'll just listen to the word of God implanted within us as we'll take it in then it'll prevent us going down these ways and the evil that that is so seductive you know a few years ago I was listening to a, a sermon by Andy Stanley and he was talking about um, why bother going to church? Because it's kind of in vogue, you know, that you don't need the church. You don't need your brothers and sisters in Christ. You can kind of do you and Jesus, and that's good enough. And so he said, well, what's the point? And, and it was interesting because, because one of the things he said is, listen, he said, I cannot tell you how many things as a young person I was saved from because I was part of a youth group, because I was part of a church. Also, let alone the good that, that happened, it, it stopped me doing some, making some decisions which I know would have potentially consequences that last out the rest of my life. You see, this is what the word of truth does. This is what sharing it does. It, it says, listen, that there's all this temptation out there. There's all of this wrong thinking out there. There's all of this calling to the wrong desires. If you will just stick with the word of truth, it will stop you. It can even deliver you and pull you back from the cycle of death. But number three, not only does it give us the birth, not only does it keep us from the evil of the earth, but number third, it gives us the abundant life, doesn't it? You know, I was reading an article last week. And it was talking about, the author was talking about the importance and power of forgiveness. And particularly the importance and power of forgiveness in a cancel world. 
that this whole thing where it's just kind of, you know, if you say the wrong thing, if you do the wrong thing, you get cancelled. You get cancelled on TV. You get cancelled in written. You get cancelled out of people's lives. Because that's a tendency, isn't it? If you hurt me, if you bother me, if you've got stuff that's going on in your life, then I'm just going to cancel you. I'm just going to cut you out of my life. I'm just going to make sure that you don't have anything to do with me anymore because you're not going to hurt me ever again. The problem with that, of course, is you end up with a very, very small life because everybody's going to hurt everybody sooner or later if you're in any kind of a relationship. It's just the way it is. And if we're going around canceling people, it just is me in the end. And even I hurt myself, so I've got to cancel myself. But instead, what the word said, the word says, listen, you know what? When, when evil happens to you, when wrong things happen to you, you need to deal with that. I mean, if it's, if it's a big deal, you need to get together with that person and talk to that person. And, you know, Scott, come say, Helen, you did this and this responded. And we need, to, we need to work that out. We need to forgive each other so that our life becomes full and full-orbed and enriched with people. And we don't carry the burden of a hard heart that forgiveness eliminates. And so this is the abundant life. So not only gives us life, but it gives us life in abundance if we'll obey the word of truth. A marvelous thing. So the first thing that the word then does is, is it gives us life. It gives us abundant life. It gives us a life that is free from many of the evils of the world. The second thing the word does is it diagnoses us. Verse 23. You guys, this is so important. Because this is one of these other places where, where the, the Christian worldview comes into massive conflict with the Word of God. Because you see, we tend to like to diagnose the word. We tend to like to say, well, I'm going to say whether this is true, whether this feels true, whether it looks true, whether or not I think it's right. I'm going to do that. We, we want to interpret the word. But it can't possibly mean that because I feel this or I've had this experience. So there's no way that that promise can be true. There's no way that that command should be obeyed. I'm, I'm going I'm to interpret it and say whether or not it's right. I'm going to judge whether the word is in error or whether the word is right. And then I'm going to take that which I believe and that which I agree with from here. And that's where I'm going to live. And the rest I'm going to say, well, you know, that's old fashioned and that shouldn't go. And, and I just give up. And we love to stand over top of the word and interpret it and dictate to it and say this is how it's going to be and this is what I'm going to obey and this is what I'm not going to obey and this is what I'm going to believe and this is what I'm not going to believe. But what James is telling is that the word stands over top of us. And the word interprets us. The word of God, the inspired word of God by the Holy Spirit, it tells me what's going on in my heart. It tells me why I act the way I act. It tells me why my desires are leading me this way or that way and why this desire is life and this desire is death. The word of God tells me, interprets me, shows me who I am and what's going on and who I can be in the blood of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. The word interprets me. I don't interpret the word. The word is to stand over top of me. I don't stand over top of the word. If I am going to have the life 
that God, the creator of the universe, desires me to have. It tells me what should be eliminated from my life. I don't tell it what needs to be eliminated from it. Thirdly, James tells us that the word gives us freedom. Verse 25. The perfect law that gives freedom. You see, true freedom is not anarchy, is it? I mean, we know this. It's, it's common sense that, 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 that true freedom is not anarchy. True freedom is not all of us just doing whatever it is we want to do. You just have to think about traffic laws to think about that. Without traffic laws, there's anarchy and, and everybody ends up in a mess. I mean, there's not a heist movie out there where they don't change the traffic tra- tra- lights so everyone crashes and there's a big clog, you know, everyone honking on so the cops can't get through so they can steal all the gold. We, we just have to go to Hollywood. Even Hollywood knows that absolute freedom is not anarchy. True freedom is to fulfill the fullness of life. And for that, the word of God gives us that freedom. The perfect law that gives freedom. The perfect law that allows us to live life in the way that God says, this is how you live life. Because life is hard enough with the stuff that comes at us without us messing it up by doing the opposite to what the word says. And running every stop sign and speeding on every corner. The word gives us true freedom. The corrupted desires leads to death. We saw that last week. But the word of truth feeds the cycle of life. It's what the word gives us. So then the question, of course, the obvious question is, well, how do we respond to that? How do we respond to this word? Well, there's several things. Uh, Number one, the first way in which we respond is that we find our identity in what the word says who we are. All kinds of people want to tell you your identity. People you work with, people in your family, people in society, the movies we watch, the songs we listen to, they all want to tell us who we are. But what God is saying is that, listen, let let the word of God tell you who you are. Let this word of truth define your identity. And who does it define us as? Well, first of all, it defines us as children of God, right? The the, the word of truth which gives, gives birth to us. We become, the Bible says, in Christ The daughters and the sons of God himself. That's what the whole birth is all about. So that's the first thing we learn. When we follow Jesus, I become a son of God. When you bow your knee to Jesus, you become a daughter of the living God. That is the core of your identity. And then he goes on in verse 18 and says, you are in fact the first fruits. We spent some time looking at that last week, so we don't need to spend a whole pile of time in that. But the whole idea is that as we live together... As followers of Jesus, to the degree that we obey and live out the word, we become a foretaste of heaven. Now, we don't do it perfectly, and the perfect is yet to come, and new creation is going to happen in all of its time, but to the degree that we relate to each other, to the degree that we engage in God's mission, to the degree in which we, we live out in our daily lives and in our relationships, the true word of God putting forth the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, forgiveness, all of those things, we become a first fruit. We become a foretaste of new creation. That's our identity. Daughter and son of God. 
first fruit, invasion of the kingdom of God, and new creation. The second thing we do is we humbly accept the word planted in our hearts. That's verse 21. Well, how do we do that? Well, the first is we remember just what we just finished saying, that, that the Word of God is a mirror. The Word of God is diagnosing me. And so when I'm doing my daily devotions and I'm reading the Word of God or I'm listening to the Word of God, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit uses that Word to say something about my life, maybe it's a word of encouragement because I haven't been believing it or I haven't been living it and I just feel like my life is useless or I've messed up and I can never be forgiven or whatever that is. Or maybe the Word convicts me of something that, hey, Alan, you've been doing this and you know that you shouldn't be doing that and you've repented of this before I'm calling you back to it or Alan you know you just walked past that poor person you just walked past that person who's in a mess and you didn't jump in and help them for the glory of Christ as we talked about a few weeks ago and so to humbly accept it is to say yeah it is a mirror and it shows me my heart and if I've got a problem with the holy word of God the problem is with me not with the word and to not have the arrogance to think that the problem is with the word. But here's the thing too about humbly accepting the word of God. It's to live with the reality that I might be wrong in how I understand it. I need to be teachable. There's all kinds of things that when I first read it, you know, I thought it meant this. And then later on you carry on in life and, and you realize, no, no, it isn't. No, it isn't this. Even in the tone, of, it's interesting, you know, even in the tone with which we hear the word of God and to be humble, to be ready to change it. And one of the big uh, lessons, I've told you this before, but one of the big lessons for me when I was in Bible college, Sheena and Mavis, they were in Bible college, we were all in there together. And, um, and so one of, the, one of the classes, like how to, how to read scripture, you know, how to publicly read Scripture, and you've got to get up there in front of the class, you've got to read it, and then you kind of critique each other. Well, of course, Mavis and Sheena are reading up there like a pair of pansies, all this word of God. You know? When to me, it's obvious, well, that's not how you do it. So I get up and show how it's going to be, and you know, bludgeon everybody to death with, uh, for God to love the world. Ah, take that! How wrong. And then to suddenly realize, and, and to realize, Jones, that, that's, not, that's not the heart of God. She knows right again. <laughs> we read the word with the tone of a, of a loving father, a loving parent who encourages and, and has to discipline the but that but the heart behind it is good. And so to humbly accept the word of God is, is to be open to, yeah, I, I may have misunderstood that passage. I may have misunderstood what the word of God is actually saying here. And I need to have the humility to have a, a teachable spirit. Third thing on this whole deal about having a, having a humble heart is to think about what it means that the word is implanted in your heart, implanted in you. There's a big kind of debate over it, whether the word's already there, blah, 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 all kind of thing. But here's the, here's the critical thing. What I realized this week, was impressed upon me this week, is, is that what this is saying is that God mostly first wants to change our hearts. That what God does with his word mostly is, is come into my heart and change me. Change my attitudes. Change my behaviors. Change my character. 
It's easy for me to take the word of God and to, to just kind of thrust it out and to hold it up against society and all of those things and think, well, that's wrong. And you know, no, no, it's the word of God implanted in me. It's this inner working that the word of God does by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then as I'm transformed, then the word comes out to me as the living word and how I live my life and those words that I speak. To humbly accept the word of God is to understand that, number one, when I'm reading this, it's, it's, it's about the Spirit changing me, transforming me, encouraging me, disciplining me, and then secondarily, the fruits of that as it's worked out in my life. The fourth thing about humbly accepting the Word of God is the final thing, to do what it says. Do what it says. That's what verse 21 and verse 25 say. Quite simply, to accept the word is to do it, to obey it. I mean, I'd like to kind of dance around and make it complicated, but it's really not. Douglas Moo, he, he says in his commentary on this, he says it really quite well. I think we've got the quote here. If one wants the benefits of its saving power, that's the word of truth, saving power, right? If you want the benefit of that in your life... If one wants the benefits of the saving power, one must also embrace it as a guide for life. The person who fails to do the word, James therefore suggests, oh, I should have a comma, is a person who has not truly accepted God's word at all. It's, it's just as plain and simple as that. If we want this message of Christ and the outworking of it and, and how it how it comes up and how it is, is lived out, if we want that, then we have to obey it. We, when we read the word, but then live a lifestyle which is characteristically against what the word teaches, we are deceiving ourselves. We're fooling ourselves. I know quite a bit about the Bible, because you folks have helped me to do that. You give me the time to do it. You send me to school and let me study, you know, all week and so on. So I know, actually, you know, quite a bit. God help me, because now I'm responsible to live out that quite a bit. Another hint of this reality of the need for obedience is, is, is right there in verse 25, where it says about the perfect law. Now... James, as we know, as we saw from week one, is written mostly, is really written to Jewish people. But don't dismiss and think that when he just substitutes the word law in here for the word, that that's, you know, so that the Jews can carry on. No, he's doing something really quite deliberate here. He's doing a switch here because what he's trying to impress upon us is, listen, when the word of God tells you something, it's not just a suggestion. It's just not like a little hint that you get to say, well, you know, I'll take it or leave it. No, he, he's saying this is the law. This is something that you are to obey. And it is, in fact, the perfect law. What he means by that is this, that Jesus has come and he's fulfilled the law. And all of that Old Testament stuff, all the, the writings, the word of hope that, you know, because James is one of the first book written, right? So mostly he's talking about the Old Testament stuff when he writes these things. And then later the stuff. Now all of a sudden we look at all of those things, those commands of God, and we live them out through Jesus. I mean, if we think about that, think about the Sermon on the Mount. Which remember, Gospel James, I mean, Sermon on the Mount, James is largely drawn from that. And what does Jesus say? He says, hey, um, 
You've heard it said, you know, don't murder. Let me perfect that for those of you who want to be a follower of mine. If you hate somebody, if you write somebody off as a fool, then you've already committed murder. You see, Jesus perfected the law. He said, this is what's lying behind that. And so it is what God's expecting. Hey, we are to obey these things. If you want help, by the way, of how to handle this Old Testament stuff and how do you live it out, we've mentioned this lots of times, but the Bible Project, it's just, it's just excellent stuff. You can watch it on YouTube, you can get the podcast, whatever. A, a, a good bunch of it is Old Testament stuff, because the main guy's an Old Testament scholar, Hebrew scholar. So it's really, really helpful. And it shows, how, well, how do I apply that to life? How does that lead into Jesus? James is underscoring the importance of obedience, of doing it. That's the word that saves. The word that saves is the word that is lived out, that is practiced, that is adhered to, that is not set aside just because we don't like what it says. So notice what James does here. He lays out for us a four-course meal of how to take the sustenance upon us in verse 25. He's kind of got four things. He says, okay, so if this is what's going to give us nourishment, if this is what's going to keep us in the cycle of life, how do we, how do we digest it? How do we, how do we get this word? How do we get this nourishment? And look at what it says. It says, first of all, he says, he who looks intently into the word. The whole idea is to, to really search the scriptures. To go beyond a superficial reading. Actually, half of us would do well even to give it a superficial reading each day would, would at least begin. But so to read intently, to, to go beyond the superficial uh, devotional reading, which is good, but when you come in, the Holy Spirit says, hey, here's this thing here. Whoa, okay, that's the break of the Holy Spirit on my heart when I'm reading along. I need to stop here for a minute and look intently into this and really figure out what this means. It's part of the value of the body of Christ because it helps us figure that out. You know, we can come and say, you know what, I was reading in the Bible the other day, and this is what it says, and I don't have a clue what that means. Or, I was reading the Bible the other day, and, and I don't know how that applies to my life. And I was reading the Bible, and this is how it's supposed to apply to my life. I know how to do it. Can you walk with me? Can you partner with me? Can you disciple me so that I can get this into my life? Okay? So step one, then, is to look intently, to, to seriously look at and study what the Word says. Because you're not going to get the nourishment if you don't digest it. Second... He who continues in the word. The word actually who lives in it. That's what it means. It's this whole idea that we learn and we read and we study on a regular, habitual basis. It's more than just an occasional, oh, I think I'll pick up the Bible to this today. The good news, I know, listen, I, I know you're busy. You're busier than me. You know, it's just Sheena and I, and we've got this crazy dog I'm trying to train. It's taking up quite a bit of time. I know you're busy. You know, one of the great gifts of the modern age is that, is that you can listen to the Word. There's all kinds of, of apps and podcasts and all kinds of stuff. I mean, just today, you know, I took Gracie for her morning walk, early, 6.30 this morning, and I listened to the book of James being read to me one and a half times, just in that short walk. 
You can, you can listen to the word of God on your commute home. Some of you have jobs that, that you know, you can, you can have music playing or you can have the word playing or whatever. And so I understand that you're busy. I understand that. It, it's a challenge, I know, especially those of you with small kids and two jobs. I mean, it's, I, but man, we, we've got to figure out ways to, to live in the word. Because it's, it's food for your soul. It's food for the life cycle, the cycle of life. And he said the third thing is, so you look intently, you continue on this, and you don't forget what it says. That's that whole, you know, reading the mirror. We've already spent all kinds of time looking at it, so we won't, we won't do that. We don't, we don't have the word separated from our life. Well, we read this, and then, okay, now I'm going to go to work. And now I'm going to go to school. And we'll just kind of leave it behind because that's my religious life and here's my real life. No, it's this whole thing of we take that word and we live it out in our relationships, in our workplaces, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our friendships, all of these things. And then, of course, the final thing he says, we do it. If we want to claim the blessing of new birth, if we want to claim the blessing of life and abundant life, we will apply the word. We will obey the word, even if it goes against what I feel like. So all good and perfect gifts come from the Father above. And one of the greatest gifts that he gives us is the word, is the gospel message. All how it led up to it and all how it's lived out. It's one of the great gifts of God that feeds us for the cycle of life. So what I would invite you to do this week is to gorge yourselves on the word. Figure out some way to do it. In the midst of the busyness of your life, I, I, I know, I, it's, it's so weird for me to say, because I mean, yeah, of course, Joan, look at you, what's your job, gorging on the word. So I, it, I know it sounds good, but I just somehow figure out, how am I going to do it? How am I going to read it? How am I going to listen to it? How am I going to get it in there? Some, some way, this week, to gorge yourself on the living word and figure out each day, one thing each day, one thing each day. Oh, I need to, I need to obey this. I need to give thanks that I'm a child of God and remember that I'm a child of God who, who died for me, who, who counts me as precious. Oh, I need to jump, offer to jump into the mess of the person's life that I'm working with who's really struggling right now. So just one thing, one thing each day for one week and see what the Holy Spirit does. Almighty God, I want to thank you for your word. Word which gives life, word which gives birth and leads us into abundant life as we live it out. So help us, almighty God. Help us to take on this nourishment. It's easy to neglect it, to, to kind of forget, to get it let squeezed out, to, to be, um, you know, just captured by the business of life. And it's easy to become frustrated and think, well, pff, I don't agree with that. Help us, Lord. Help us, Holy Spirit. Causes this week, if no other week, to somehow figure out a way to gorge ourselves on this living word 
that we might have life and you might have glory. We pray through Christ, our Savior. Amen.